Richard, can you turn that up, please? Thank you. Keep turning it up as, as this peaks. Walt doesn't look happy to be here today. Welcome, everyone, to episode 91 of the Light Shed podcast. Richard Greenfield, Walter Pisick, and Brandon Ross coming at you. And that one was by request this week, actually a request on Twitter, but kind of apropos as J-Pow is the woman in the song, <laughs> tying the markets to, uh, to the whipping post. How it was a pretty guys? brutal week. I mean, I think that song sort of encapsulated sort of the pressure and the stress and the strain that we and probably a lot of our listeners uh, or watchers have been experiencing this week. I mean, this was tough. Yeah, it's tough. The PA is taking a hit, but this was going to happen at some point. We knew that money was free for way too long. The beer you know, goggles like we were on, we as that this. guy said on CNBC yesterday. But we <laughs> haven't really we haven't really felt like this since. You know, I mean, a little bit March 2020, right? Like just the very beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. But we really haven't experienced this type of correction in valuation in a while. Well, valuation matters eventually. Sometimes. sometimes. Or it doesn't matter, as people like to say, but then until it does, right? I'll say, though, watching football last weekend was a great distraction. Like it was uh, yeah. probably the best distraction we've that had was- in a while. Like every game down to the very end, like it was the first... It was just great to disconnect for the weekend and watch football. That was fucking sick. It had to be the best football weekend, multi-game weekend ever. I'll say that because, of course, the 07 Giants Super Bowl is the greatest game of all time, one which I attended. You just had to put that in there. Humble brag, not so humble. It also coincided. Well, the great football weekend also coincided with record numbers in the New York market for gambling. And I think, you know, we were all, I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast last week. We certainly talked about it amongst many people in terms of the $3,000 promo that I got. And then the very <laughs> next day, um, it was shut down for those that, that attempted to get it. So sorry, oh, yeah. that. you got to act quick. <laughs> And so then, we actually got, by the way, we actually got emails from people complaining that the $3,000 didn't work, yeah. that it was $1,500. Snooze, well, you lose. Right. That just goes to show you that you need to listen to this podcast the day it's released and act accordingly. And and quickly. And look, and look, and Caesars with my, it's actually ended up being $3,600 by the time I, I kept ticking on every single promotion that they offered. Um, and then what happened is in between games on Sunday, the whole app just crashed. So maybe 
as I tweeted, they should focus more on investing in their own technology than just handing out $3,000 to people willy-nilly um, to get them hooked on gambling. But thank you for the $3,000. Thank you very much. My wife thanks you for another $3,000, 3300 to be exact. Walt, did you do it once or you did it multiple times in the family? Everyone over 18. Everyone. I, Rich, I assume what I do with my accounts is my business. <laughs> just worry about yourself. Did you do it even once, Rich? I did not. Okay. Well, how do you so give up? Rich 3, doesn't 000? like free. He doesn't like a nice return profile. So, yeah, this is like the free money that you t- that Brandon was just talking about in terms of what the Fed was pumping in there. Um, they were pumping three thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, and when we were my- all buying crypto, Rich waited till the top. It's <laughs> a great point. Yeah. Thank you. That was really nice. I was re- I really appreciate that. Okay. I do own a couple of NFTs now, thanks to our good friends at uh, Exile <laughs> Content. I own some little heroes. How, which, how many ETH did you pay for those? You know, I'm not going to disclose, but um, <laughs> well, we could the, just look it up on OpenSea. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. We'll well, first, I'll go to your profile picture, which you now you've used the Twitter profile picture nft authentication i'll you click like on that, it huh? i'll find out what nft it is then i will go and look it up on OpenSea, and i will know how many eth you spent are you embarrassed about how many eth you spent or no no no, no. but what, what what i'm what i'm actually excited about by the is... way i'm gonna do this right now no you're not we're just yeah, we're just gonna have fun here. no 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 because <laughs> because you're gonna be disappointed I mean, from a guy like you, I hope it was at least 20. Well, maybe we should do <laughs> over under Brandon. And then when we find out the reality, people can contact us. I say Wait, that he I'll, spent no more than $600 on his. I'll take the over on that. little J- look, JPEG JPEG thing, which I don't know what that equates to. Uh, to I'll just uh, say I have lots of friends. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. Who you have? So it's Lil Heroes 4972. So let's go to OpenSea right now. You have too much time on your hands. Lil Heroes Collection by Edgar whatever. Okay. Edgar Plains. He's a Spanish artist. Okay, that's great. What's interesting about this NFT project, though, is they're turning it into an animated TV series. And so they're actually utility sort of, you know, turning artwork into NFTs into an animated TV show is something that the artist is partnering with Exile Content to create. Okay. Rich spent 1.1013 ETH on that. You spent 2,500 bucks on that? It says $2,713. Oh my God. Here here you go. What is that? Of course, he has like 3D goggles on. But even though Rich, he, I love 3D. Three, 3D, I'm like the, 3D. You loved you loved putting a cell on. It was one of my favorite cells of all day. time. It was one of my and now you're all time. now you're still flexing it. By the way, Rich, Rich has had like through history, right? The the history of time. Rich has always had these companies that he likes to pick on and beat up on. Into he's. Always right, by the way. We could go back through it real patient or whatever, 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 right? And then this week, Rich actually gave up on one of his. 
I, I supposedly, I, so wait, supposedly I capitulated. Yeah, right, right. You capitulated. <laughs> Uh, so let's let's turn to our first uh, slide of the week, which is Fubo TV and our upgrade from cell to neutral. Right, this article from Seeking Alpha just hysterical because the author goes, Lightshed throws throwing in the towel on one of its favorite short ideas. Lightshed capitulates, which I just thought was amazing because, you know, if we had capitulated maybe nine months ago when the stock was ripping in our face, maybe that would have happened. But um, a complete lack of was- understanding. I don't think there was a point in time when that stock was ripping in our face post downgrade. I think you pretty much downgraded that or put a sell on it at the actual top. No, but it was like as it went down to like, you remember it got down to like 15 or 16 and then ripped back up to 30. I mean, it's had some really violent moves over the course of the last year. And look, they've raised a lot of capital. I mean, I think that's sort of the, the crazy part about this whole you know, to your comment on Fed infused meme rally and all of that, like FUBO was going to be a zero. I mean, you and I saw them at CES in 2020. Um, They were four weeks from being done. The only reason it exists is that they were able to raise capital somehow to stay alive. And that's sort of the the crazy thing is that companies that never should have gotten funding got funding. A lot of like the SPACs. I mean, a lot of these SPACs are now public. And it's like you look at these companies and none of these companies should be public. No I mean, SPAC company should be public. No, no. <laughs> a lot of these SPAC companies. You just said media. none of these companies should be public. And I would argue vehemently against that ridiculous statement. We are, there are many to hyperbole here. On that the is hyperbole <laughs> beyond hyperbole. That is a ridiculous statement. There are plenty of SPACs that this was an effective way for them to become public that have you know, EBITDA and free cash flow. Are there some that don't and are story stocks that maybe not should have hit the public market? Sure. But to say all of them? No. Sorry. I think I was should have qualified with the media SPACs have generally all been okay, I can't speak to the media SPACs. So I, I just want to make sure that we're clear on this. We can. There's be. plenty of SPACs that are and, and SPACs that are in the works that I think are going to be very good companies. That went public that way. You do have to give a hand to Gandler, though. Not only did he raise that round, get public. I think what did he merged with the other Facebook? What was that company called? It was called FaceBank. FaceBank, whatever. Um, but then at the top and kind of all the way down, he was raising money. Right. He was issuing equity. So he was, he was smart about it. He understood his position. Well, and he now, sold stock himself. Yeah. So it worked out for him in the end to a certain extent. Now at a billion five market cap, it, what's the future for this company? Is, is it a possible takeout candidate? Is it? I, it sort of speaks to sort of things like AMC too, right? Like AMC can't survive unless it can raise capital again. And if interest and rates that are American rising again, did do that. No, no, no. I'm saying from he here. He raised capital for himself. That's true. <laughs> it's a lot of capital for himself. He did sell a lot of stock. Yeah. No, but but whether it's AMC or Fubo, the, the issue that I think is hitting a lot of these stocks right now is if interest rates are going up, if free money is not going to be as accessible, companies that need capital like Fubo needs more capital. There is no way they can build a sports betting business nationally and build a VMVPD business without access to the capital markets. 
and they don't generate EBITDA. So like they need to be able to sell equity here. If they can't sell equity, it's over. If they can't raise more debt, it's over. All right. So let, let Bank of America had a call today saying that they're going to raise rates seven times in a row and the Fed rate is going to be two and a half. Let's put that aside. Let's look at the 10-year. You're talking about free this concept of free money going away. I don't know how you define free money, but just look at a fucking 10-year chart on the 10-year itself yep. and where rates have gone. What's the over-under on the 10-year at the peak? 2%? 2.5%? It? It's at 1.8. 1.8? Right? Yeah. Do yeah. you think it actually ever gets to 2.5%, let alone 3%? Does it even get to 2%? Does it ever top 2%? Because our government does have a little bit of debt and allowing rates to get as high as Bank America suggested. Um, I'm impossible. not sure logically how that works, but again, well, that's something I put in the bookmarks. Well, Props the two years, the that two years going to get above 2%. Sure. The two years already been, has moved up to a hundred bit of BIPs, but you're saying the two years going to have an well, inverted, so then inverted you, curve. Yeah. That's what okay. we're talking we'll about. Say. Okay. We'll say it's possible. And we're probably going to wind up in recession for a little bit after this, right? Walt, I know you you love Sark. Why don't you read this tweet? <laughs> well, I, I don't love Sark. I just think it's. I think um, Matt's got an interesting product that he put into the market. Um, for those that don't know, Sark is basically taking the Arc, um, one of the her one of Kathy Wood's ETFs, and reversing it. Basically, you can go short on it. Um, and I think I don't know all the details of it. I guess Kramer said something. I on, actually watched it last night for a little bit. Yes, I actually watched <laughs> Mad Money um, for a little bit last night. And he he started with essentially pitching um, short arc. And then he tried to walk it back a little bit with this tweet. So he said, so when Sark goes down next week, I want to just point out that what I do for a living is lost on many. I That's don't true. recommend this ETF nonsense. I am saying if you hate growth, momentum growth, the cruel tuttles came up with this gem. So he's like, oh, I didn't recommend it. But yeah, he actually did. Well, imagine that. He, he like came never out. Seen, never seen that before. <laughs> So Matt had a response on Twitter that said the following, this nonsense, referring to what Jim was basically saying, calling his ETF nonsense, yep. has done pretty well for an ETF less than three months old. I don't think we have the inflow numbers, but I think he's probably, Matt's probably right. It has done well. Maybe not as well as the money Kathy has pulled in, but certainly okay. How about we create a Kramer ETF long and short, says Matt Tuttle. Donate half the proceeds to, char <laughs> to charity. Let's do it, Matt. Let's do it. And I think actually it's one of his lemmings showed that the street.com was still recommending the ARC ETF to be long. So I guess he does recommend some ETF. Is that true? I mean, this is on Twitter. So who knows? Maybe someone did a mock-up of the, <laughs> <laughs> of, the, of, the uh, of the recommendation. Well, look, look, hopefully some of these snake oil companies will, people will come back to reality. People I well, I think they already have, Rich. Uh, it, there's still things that look pretty frothy, right? Like, I mean, even your comment of like, you know, Fubo still at a billion four, AMC. I mean, look, AMC with like no long-term plan is still what a- Like 10B or something? Seven and a half billion dollar company. So when you say, yeah, I mean- there's still, I mean, I think there's still long ways to go down in some of these names that, you know, don't have real businesses. But so not we'll Fubo say, anymore. Well, look, uh, you know, everything. <laughs> we'll see. 
Just trolling yeah. you, Rich. It's okay. I mean, lots of companies can go to zero over time. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we talk about um, someone we haven't actually talked about in a while on this podcast? Bob Iger, who um, he did his first sort of real interview post Disney. So he left Disney officially uh, at the end of calendar twenty one, and he did an interview with Kara Swisher. Um, and he had two topics that we're going to focus in. It was a long interview podcast, but we're going to focus on two topics. The first was talking about movie theaters, because uh, who better to talk about the movie theater industry than, than Iger? So let's just listen into what he said first, we'll, and then we'll get into the Activision one second. Um, let's start with the movie going experience okay. to say something good about that. Okay. Um, I think that um, people will still want to go to movies. Okay. However... They will be much more, I think, discerning about what movies they want to see out of the home, where you're likely, I think, to make to say or ask yourself, wait a minute, is this a movie I need to see on the big screen and do all that? Or can I wait or not even wait for that matter or see it at home? Right. You know, Spider-Man, which um, Marvel and Walt Disney Company produced for Sony, Mm When that came out, there were a slew of people around the world want to see it first weekend. And there are films like that. But there are a lot of films that don't fit into that category or that don't really need to be watched in a larger-than-life experience. Right. And so I think what you're going to see is far fewer films released for the big screen. I think what Iger if- listens to the Light Shed podcast. What do you think his pseudonym is? I mean, it does sound very much like Walter Pysik, right? Oh, God. Thank God I just I just censored myself there. That was I, wonder, I wonder if Alexia Quadrani is going to listen to the Light Shed podcast now that she's going to Disney IR, do you think? I hope so. Maybe. I mean, it'd be great. <laughs> I mean, we've actually started a dialogue with Disney, so hopefully we'll be at their analyst meeting in March. Like, I mean, hopefully. But I just thought, you know what? It, it was honestly... Iger was so refreshingly honest in that comment. Like, you know, he, he, even in another part of the interview, he talks about like movie theaters are going to survive. And then he catches himself. Well, most of them, right? Like he, he's even sort of acknowledging that there's a bunch of these companies that are going to probably go bankrupt. These businesses going to shrink. There'll always be a movie theater business. So Walt can go see his Marvel and Lucasfilm films on the, the big screen. There may just be less screens for him to see it on which I think fits with our view. Me and millions of other people. Again, if you look at attendance over the years, it hasn't exactly changed all that much. So, Well, it has recently. I think one of the, um, I don't know why this clip, part of the clip didn't make it in, but I think he said that the theater business was wounded, right? But not dead. That's what he said. And that it had a permanent wound. It's just a flesh wound that it wasn't going to come back from um, the pandemic. Let's listen to him talk, though, about Activision (laughs) and Microsoft, because I think that change subject. (laughs) Well, no, because I just think like, let's just get to both of them, because I think they're both really important. Well, first of all, now Microsoft's in gaming, obviously acquisition in terms of money cost and going back to what you were suggesting about the entertainment companies not having the scale. Yeah, they're on the money. They're not necessarily on solid ground from financial perspective. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they could have easily done it. Now, Comcast's big enough to do that. Um, But I don't think in most cases there were synergies to be gained 
from an entertainment company buying those. In Microsoft's case, and I'm an outsider looking at this, clearly they're already in the gaming space, mm-hmm. um, both on the platform side and with games. So I think that it's a natural fit, and that gaming and playing games could be a very, very large component for the consumer of an Internet 3.0 metaverse experience. So do entertainment companies need to be here then? It's really hard. You can spill a lot of money pauses, awesome. yeah. getting into that. Need to be? No. no. Entertainment companies, to survive in an Internet 3.0 world, you uh, need to have some really compelling intellectual property. Stumble, stumble, stumble. I mean, that it was a little <laughs> diarrhea of the mouth, right? Like, she definitely caught him, like, well, they sort of do, but like, there's no easy way. They don't have the balance sheets. They're not on solid footing. Like they got a lot of stuff. Yeah. And they also don't have the DNA. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is something the only, I've, we've said this a million times, the only one who's actually been able to pull it off was Warner and they did it in a small way. JJ yep. Abrams is trying to do it now to kind of merge this interactive world with, you know, the video studio world it's 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 not easy very very different dna in building a video game company i don't i personally i i don't think it's going to be easy for netflix which is why they're probably going to have to make some acquisitions along the way and why they're farming out um the games that they're building right now what is an internet 3.0 world i know that's (laughs) so I think that he's talking about it as as being the, quote, metaverse, right? And a 3D interactive world, as opposed to the blockchain-based decentralized world that people who talk about, quote, Web3 um, are talking about. But So that's the way the world's changing to a metaverse-only 3D? No, not metaverse-only, but there's the idea that, yeah. Video is going to get much more into now. Who's stumbling to explain? No, I'm not, I'm not stumbling to explain. I've written about this. No, I know what I'm saying. But you, but you, I think, would agree that this concept of like Internet 3.0 taking over and everyone having to change their strategy to fit only into a metaverse world is kind of silly. No, it's evolutionary. It's not revolutionary. Evolutionary meaning that's the end game. No, I don't think it's the end game, but I think that we will interact in 3d interactive spaces much more than we do now. Sure. I think education is going to be there. I even think VR is going to be a real use case, especially for industrial uses and educational uses, maybe not for everyday communication, but it's going to be an arrow in the quiver. That's all. And I think that there will be ways to make video and storytelling more interactive than it is right now. And you're already so why, seeing changes like that. So wouldn't that there be the synergy of an entertainment company if they're effectively distributing their content in this, whatever the fuck you want to call it, world, that they also would have a storefront that has the games where the, this, where the consumers it's where technologically the consumers spending their time? It's technologically a very different challenge. But Brandon, it's why you talked about why Epic Games and Disney fit nicely together. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, that's, I, I that, think I think you that's just told Walt really, no, you, but you just I told think Walt that's no, a really, and Walt just basically explained what the logic of that would be. 
And I thought we had a whole conversation on a past podcast about there was a store. Wasn't there a store where you could buy a donut or some shit like that in this metaverse? Uh, Ch- Chipotle. 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 Yeah. I bought a, I a, bought a burrito. Of a burrito. Burrito, was- Brandon. A burrito. Burrito. Not a donut. A burrito. So isn't this concept of having this metaverse where you have multiple types of content that you go in and out of? So isn't that there the synergy? Yeah, why but, a media company would want to buy a gaming company. But does it work together? Can people who are used to making storios, storios, Oreos, um, creating stories in linear video, are they capable of picking up the ability to create interactive content? Look, that's that's an open story. question. It's been tried many, many times, mm-hmm. and it's just Look, not easy. Now, if you want to talk about big M&A, and this is why we kind of proposed Epic merging with Disney and having those brands and being able to create real interactive space around it with the technological capabilities, that's something different. So is Microsoft more capable of doing that than a media company? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, they've built, they've have tons of first party studios. They've built tons of interactive content in the past. Disney has tried years ago. They tried to work their way into interactive a couple of times um, organically and through M&A. And it just, it didn't work. Now, if you you bring a Tim Sweeney into Disney and you've let him to figure out a way for him to utilize Disney IP and the creation of his metaverse platform in a big way and make, make it integral to it. And you kind of leave him alone in that process. And you somehow figure out a way for interactive storytellers to work with linear storytellers. Yeah, maybe. But I, I actually think that it's easier probably to go from creating interactive content to adding video content rather than vice versa. Sort of the, sort of the way it was easier for Netflix to enter into the content game than it was for content companies to enter into technology world. I remember sitting with Steve Burke years ago and talking about sort of what Comcast, what oh, NBC Comcast could buy and I remember talking about things like Spotify and Twitter or even Snapchat. And I remember him saying, like, those are not businesses that we as a company understand how to run. Like, we would screw that up. We would kill it. We can invest. We can give them money. We can put our content on them. But that is not in our DNA. And I think you see it many ways. Like, think about, I mean, Netflix started streaming 12 years ago. It's not like this is a new thing, right? Or you know, now it's probably 13 years ago. Um, I think it's really hard for companies to do things that they're not, not just equipped, but don't actually have the people to Brandon's point. Like they don't have the the talent and the ability to recruit that talent because the talent doesn't want to go and work. I mean, you saw this on the technology side, um, the streaming tech side, the talent didn't want to go to even Disney, right? (laughs) let alone Viacom and Fox and all of these other places that are smaller. I guess that's going to be unfortunate for them if the metaverse is created by 
the technology people in the gaming area, and then they layer on media and then just take more and more time away from them. It's what makes companies like Apple and Amazon so scary right now is that they have the balance sheets to do both. But yes, I agree a hundred percent. Okay. It seems like an incentive to do something, but go on. No, they should do something, but what are they going to do? Apparently there's no what's answer. The so, what's the solution? <laughs> I don't get, know. Given the me. set of assets that they you have. Tell me. I, I mean, Iger I, said it himself. They don't have the balance sheet for it. They don't have, I mean, we could layer on that. They don't have the management for it. Right. Is it, is it easier for HBO to become Netflix or Netflix to become HBO? Like to kind of like go back to That's like a that perfect that analogy, right? Is it easier for Apple to become Disney, right? Like they're, you know, they're working with John Lasseter now to build Disney like animated content. You know, will it work? We'll see. But, you know, they're certainly pushing to become Disney without buying it. Uh, let's just I, I called an audible just because you mentioned it, Brendan. I thought it was important to stick. So modest proposal flagged a new Netflix risk factor dropped, quote, our business could be adversely impacted by costs and challenges associated with strategic acquisitions and investments. Um, I presume that means gaming. Like I assume that because they've never bought really anything meaningful on the, you know, on the, well, the media front. they've never really done much M&A in the past. So there's a couple of things at hand here. One is they want to get into the gaming business. And as I said, that's a very difficult business to build the capabilities for. So they're probably going to have to do some studio acquisitions. The other thing is they have 220 plus million subscribers and there's options that are paying them every month. There's optionality in having a user base that big and businesses that you can layer on if you feel like you're getting to maturity or getting towards maturity. So I think from both those perspectives, it's interesting that that risk factor dropped and had never been there before. The thing that's odd about it to me is like they never do big acquisitions. And I I don't think they're really signaling that they're going to do anything of size. Like it seems like lots of tuck-ins, which has sort of been there, you know, the Ronald Dahl library, right? That's what we presumed, right? Yeah. But why would that risk factor suddenly show up? Like clearly they're planning on doing M&A now. Yeah, but it also could be the number of small acquisitions may be larger. So it just may simply be a sheer number of smaller acquisitions rather than the aggregate. One big one instead of or two big ones. Co- correct. Right. It could be the cadence is definitely increasing. And is this just a sign that between small tuck-in IP and small tuck-in gaming, there's just enough that warrants the risk factor? I don't know. But, it's just, but again, it's, it's interesting. Just, just want to highlight that point. It is one thing to build you know, video production capabilities and, and a studio for film and television and another to build an interactive studio. I agree with that. Very different propositions. Walt, you want to talk about the DOJ this week? Cause I think it was pretty interesting. Um, well, we have some tweets here talking about the DOJ antitrust chief prefers merger lawsuits over settlements. Um, I guess there's something else here about Lockheed Martin. So why don't you chime in since this was your tweet? 
Well, no, it was just sort of this idea that, you know, so much of our space has been so much of M&A has been sort of affecting our space over the years. And, you know, I go back to the AT&T Warner Media battle that, you know, was a vertical merger. And we spent a lot of time on why that deal should get approved and government fought it, but it ended up happening. And it was just interesting to hear the new DOJ chief basically say, you know, I go back to even that, that the AT&T deal. And remember, they offered up like, hey, go out and get rid of DirecTV or go out and get rid of Turner. Yeah. Like they gave lots of structural remedies before they sued in this behavioral remedies were kind of the way on vertical deals in the past and some kind of like divestitures. But it's interesting, first of all, that the the DOJ is saying now that they prefer to just block. And then the FTC, uh, I'll just read that tweet, sues to block Lockheed Martin Corporation's $4.4 billion vertical acquisition of Aerojet Rocketdyne Holdings. Now, Understood. And just two weeks ago, you said that vertical deals never get blocked. Just that's what that's that's what I was going to bring up. Now, if you read the rationale for blocking the Lockheed Martin um, deal, it is in defense, and they didn't want to limit the number of suppliers for something that was quote like strategic to the security of the country. So I don't know if that is absolutely the best example of a vertical merger getting blocked. But what the what the DOJ is saying about behavioral remedies now does make you think that they that they might go ahead and start blocking some vertical deals. And that brings up like the Activision Microsoft deal, because that is a deal that is both horizontal and vertical. And the vertical is much more interesting. Wait, right. But 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 let's just go back. You were like, well, if they have to, you know, even the piece you wrote, like, you're like, well, if they have to get rid of King, they'll get rid of King. Like, they'll just do a divestiture of a part of it. Yeah. Based, you- based on history. Now, I, I understand, like, sometimes we have to adjust our view on things as the information changes. But studying history, vertical deals are almost never, if ever, blocked or haven't been. It's just a matter of now if there's a new the, the, the viewpoint that scared me in what he wrote in, in his speech or said in his speech was just that technology or things are moving so quickly that that choosing if you see problems, divestitures may things may move quickly enough where the divestiture is not the right decision or like that's not the right approach. If you just don't like a deal, you should just block it. No behavioral, no divestitures. If you don't like something, you block it. It just it's it's a very different stance that you know again we were talking about you know could a Comcast buy a Roku like we start talking about all the different things that could happen if the government's approach is like you can't do divestitures and you can't do behavioral remedies it just may limit people's desires to try things that's all I mean we'll see what happens with Activision and Microsoft it's going to be very interesting you know I think most people think it's going to go through including you Brandon it's just a matter of you know, if we're in a very, very different M&A landscape, that's going to give everyone a lot of pause about what to do next. I mean, Walt's talking about how, you know, media companies need to figure out their way into the metaverse through combinations. Like what is and isn't possible? I don't think that was my view, but I think I just was having a discussion on on what we were saying about the media. I certainly don't have that view, so don't put it on me. And on terms of the M&A stuff, um, I think that's wrong. I think that's a wrong take. I think it's it's that if they want to go direct to court, then maybe companies just take them to court and say, fucking bring it. The reason that you see concessions 
and consent decrees is because the government realizes they wouldn't fucking win these cases. And, and that's and they get and they they extract pain because the DOJ, by the way, has to take it to court. And this is a nation of laws. So good luck, DOJ, because in the, in the case of the FCC, where we've talked about this before, where you send it to an administrative law judge, that's like you're just death by time. Right. And it's the fact that it takes so long. In this case, you go in front of a judge and they say, okay, let's fucking do this case. So if the DOJ is saying, like, hey, we're not going to do concessions or consent decrees or or this out of the other thing, okay. I think I think corporate America, for the time that the DOJ is actually in control in this administration, however long that that lasts, so just say, <laughs> bring it on. We'll take you to court. Why why would you avoid it? If if you know your deal can pass in court. And now you don't have to go through these these months of negotiations with the DOJ before they the, before they bring suit. Fine, bring your suit. And in the case of the Microsoft Activision deal, again, we analyze it based on law, um, and it it doesn't seem blockable based on law. Yeah, how did those fucking states do against Timo and Sprint? How did that go? <laughs> Not well. Now maybe I mean. Maybe Bobby is just an evil genius and is playing like crazy 3D chess or whatever the the phrase is and is like, well, the DOJ may just try and block this and Microsoft's not going to want to go through the hassle and expose themselves. And this is kind of my way out. Yeah, I'll agree to do a deal with Microsoft. Um, but I know that deal is never going to be consummated. And it's a way for me to actually stay and deflect attention. Right. But but that's the case in any transaction under any administration. Yes, there's always the risk that the DOJ may sue to block it. <laughs> but what you but if you're just taking out the process of like, oh, well, I have to decide whether I'm going to go to the risk of going to court versus agreeing to divest X, Y, and Z to get them off my back. And it's just going to go direct to court. And they're like, all right, look, we still need to do transactions that we think are strategic for our company. And let's take it to court. And then when the DOJ loses three in a row, maybe that little, that maybe that view on how to approach <laughs> this might change. But I did want to drop a conspiracy theory because why not? <laughs> let's exactly. Let's go. Uh, let's stick with Activision. Because sure. uh, th- this tweet on the right, Brandon, is just phenomenal. So why don't you start uh, This with is that? from Blizzard. We're building a survival game in an all-new universe. Join us in writing our next chapter. So this is a recruitment um, tweet. And Meaning it's they're, interesting. they're launching a new game and they're trying to get, hire people. Just to be Right. Clear. Right. Um, and it's interesting because Blizzard never, ever announces anything directly before they do at BlizzCon or some kind of public event. That's kind of their policy. They will put stuff up on job boards, but they it's kind of unprecedented for them to do something like this. So maybe my kind of evil genius theory is right. <laughs> and Bobby's trying to get people to go and work there so that when the Microsoft deal blows up, he actually has something that they're working on. But I don't know. Anyway, the response to this that was amazing was you play as a Blizzard employee trying to rise through the ranks and survive through copious amounts of abuse and misconduct for a survival game. <laughs> that I was mean, harsh. It got retweeted. <laughs> like, 
it went pretty viral. That was amazing. <laughs> you want to read the other two just because that like the actual part that actually matters to this slide. Sure. Uh, here from as, as much fun as that is, I agree. I thought that was awesome. Here from Jason Schreier, new Activision is committed to releasing at least the next three Call of Duty games on PlayStation, even after the Xbox acquisition, according to people familiar with the deal. That's COD 2022, 2023, and, and that's important because, but, in 2023. But that's important, I assume, because there is this fear of does Microsoft make this all internal to Microsoft? Yeah, I I honestly never thought. Does that thought, make any sense? I never thought that Microsoft would do that because I, I think they actually want to show the value of subscription relative to upfront sale and that they also don't want to cannibalize themselves for those who don't want subscription. And if you're going to do subscription, you wouldn't make it proprietary. That's the linkage. What do you mean by that? Well, you were like, I, I think they just want to maximize dollars while also being strategic. And the way to maximize dollars is to widely distribute it, but make right. the best deal to have the game to be on subscription. That's the first of all. And second of all, also, as they try and get this deal approved, putting stuff like that out there makes sense because they're saying we're not doing anything anti-competitive. We're going to continue to release the biggest game in the world on competitive platforms. Right. PS4 being or being the, the other world. thing on there was that there's going to be a war zone two in 2023. So that's something that we didn't know. And then the last tweet here while we're on video games, I guess polygon apex legends and star Wars Jedi fall order developer respawn is making three new star Wars games. And it, uh, you know, Respawn is pretty much the best thing that they have going for them at EA right now. It is the studio that has been able to have some success outside of the sports genre, which has basically been everything else, everything that has worked um, at EA. And they actually bought Respawn pretty cheaply for maybe a couple of hundred million dollars. So that was one really great acquisition that they made. And Apex continues to do very well. Let's shift gears over to Peacock. We've got Lillian Rizzo's got a tweet. Comcast gave some new Peacock metrics today, 9 million paying subs. Uh, most of them, not many, or most of them are on the 499s here. 7 million through the cable company. They're sort of like, and they're doubling content spend to 3 billion. What was interesting about the Peacock sort of disclosure is, you know, I would have thought, and I think the way we were thinking about it was that the cable subscribers were going to be bigger because if you weren't paying for it, that that would be a big number relative to, you know, Comcast and Cox together have like 20 million video subscribers. You would have thought that's where the majority of the Peacock users were coming from. But in fact, it's people paying discreetly for Peacock is now the largest component. So it made me think sort of top of my head, like my first reaction was, it's a hard to believe. Um, it shows how much interest people have in streaming, but it also sort of gets to this larger question of like, why are Comcast and NBCU together? Like, it's not like Comcast is the driving force even of Peacock. Like Peacock is growing subs and building on its own separate from Comcast and shows that it can add subs without Comcast. So it just sort of speaks to me to like more and more of like the the lack of logic of why these companies are actually together. 
And then Comcast going in and spending more, you know, Peacock doesn't get a lot of usage. Now the question is going to be, they're going to spend a lot more money and try to really compete in streaming, which is, you know, it kind of goes to, you know, we were talking about like sort of the, the content creation game is going to be good for another several years because everyone is spending more money. Apple's ramping, Amazon's ramping, Netflix is still spending more. Everyone is spending more, which is going to drive more and more cord cutting. And I mean, Comcast certainly is pulling its foot off of the video side of the business and telling you, like they're literally telling you, we're taking more content out of the bundle and putting it directly into streaming. Like there, it's not just incremental spending; it's also reallocation of spending. Just it's it's going to be really hard to get keep getting paid for that content in the bundle and get consumers to pay for it if you keep moving more and more out of it. It's basically becoming the NFL is the only thing left on linear TV that people are watching in any large numbers. Peacock ever do a, a wireless deal? Am I remembering anything? I don't think they, they didn't, do. They didn't. I mean, obviously, Comcast has wireless, and Comcast talked a lot about bundling wired and wireless, but they haven't really talked about Peacock being a benefit of signing up for Comcast Mobile. I have not seen that to date. I wonder if they'd now be you, willing to do that with other wireless plans out there, or is that now because these you have these wars between? Bigger wars, I guess I would call it, between the cable companies and the telcos across many fronts. Are they going to restrict having Peacock be added to the wireless bundle, which, as we've talked about before, wireless operators like to add media content to the bundle to increase revenue? Well, it's interesting you say that because Comcast does bundle Peacock in with their broadband business. It sort of is striking. I mean... I don't, I actually, I don't think, can you, can you, I don't, can you get Comcast? Are you saying you get, to, do they bundle it in with the wireless, their wireless business? Correct. I would bet anything that nobody has Comcast wireless, Xfinity wireless without having Xfinity broadband. Well, sure. That's, that's part of the MBNO. Right. Um, so there stands. you go. Right. So but, <laughs> that's why it's not bundled anywhere else on wireless. Right. But so would they not? For someone out of a Comcast market like myself, I'd pay money for Peacock Premium because I don't, you know, I don't want to watch commercials on what was that show that I was watching? Crown, I guess. Um, and assuming they clean up the mess known as their multiple apps for EPL, um, you know, getting that, I think I pay five bucks a month, and having my wireless carrier pick that up would probably help them on that for that service. You know, I've just been thinking as you've been, ta- I hadn't really thought about it before, Walt, but like the more I think about it, just listening to you, why wouldn't they? Like if the goal is to build Peacock and to build the brand, the you're going to spend, you're going to spend $5 billion on Peacock programming to limit it just to Comcast broadband and Comcast wire. It just seems like a, their footprint isn't wide enough. So like in terms of doing like a biz dad, you're talking about. Yeah, just just yeah. I, just like Netflix on us, you have Peacock on us or Peacock out of market. Whatever. Yeah, out of market Peacock yeah, on us. It's also hard to do like in market, out of market with wireless, isn't it? Um, it's, it's like a real national. I mean, Verizon's doing that on the broadband side, where they're not you're not able to get fixed wireless broadband in a FiOS market for a variety of reasons. So right. yeah, it's it's challenging, but again, it's if you're talking if you're li- if you're putting them in the same breath as HBO Max and Netflix and things like this, like, I don't know, that seems like a, 
self kneecap if you don't try and do a partnership with an operator. By the way, it, this all gets back to the same old thing, which is there's no reason for those two businesses to be together. As Rich said at the top, we know why they're together. It's Brian, it's Empire Building, and it is what it is, and it's probably never going to change. But the, I want to just finish off on Walt's point. The reason, the original concept of Peacock was they were going to work with cable operators all over the country. So they weren't national, but Charter would give you, you know, New York and LA, like you would work with, you basically fill in all of the Comcast holes by doing this with cable operators. And unfortunately, only Cox said yes. Everyone else so far has said no. So I think given that their original Peacock strategy didn't play out the way they thought, it does make you think like, why not rethink and work with a Verizon or a T-Mobile or an AT&T? Like, why would that be so bad? Like, I don't think anyone is choosing Comcast. I don't think Comcast is being chosen because of Peacock. That synergy does not exist in my mind. And so if you could get somebody else just marketing it and building the brand and getting more subscribers, I think that would be great. I love the idea. The other piece is just Comcast came out and said that they were going to have fewer broadband subscribers, that they are still facing headwinds. They continue to call it COVID-related. They continue to say it's about moves. But I thought you had some interesting tweets today, Walt, just sort of proving out that sort of the growth of wire of both um, broadband subscribers from the telcos, both fixed and wireless, had grown pretty substantially over the course of the last can- year necessarily prove anything, but math is always good at kind of, um, you know, checking words or spin or narrative, whatever the, whatever the I word think narrative is your best one. So if you passed, if you looked at the 2021 broadband net ads of Comcast and charter, um, versus 19, they've declined by 557,000. We should have thrown Altice in there as well. Um, not sure we, why we didn't, but, um, but again, if you look at wireless, the increase has been 475,000 over that same period. So, and meanwhile, by the way, you know, you've got some, at the same time, you know, we, we like to talk about wireless, um, but fiber has also helped. Um, if you look at Verizon's, the DSL losses relative to, to Fios, I mean, there's, that's been a, a turnaround, same thing at, at AT&T in terms of the DSL losses versus fiber. So it's just kind of the numbers speak for themselves. If, if, if it's in fact, whatever narrative that these guys say on their call, then why are those subs showing up at the telcos? And at the same time, Walt, and I know you have hammered everyone on this. They keep saying churn is at record lows, and this is just a gross ad issue, but it doesn't seem to foot out if, if the, if, Fiber and fixed wireless are gaining this much ground year over year. How can churn be at record lows? Like something just does like the math. I could go back to math. It doesn't add up. Something doesn't, someone's lying. Um, I mean, maybe that the move transactions, which, you know, move is a big part of someone's churn for home broadband. So if less people are moving, then that can help your churn, even though there's switching going on theoretically in the background. Maybe that's the bigger bigger item for them but that just means there's less velocity when you say there's less moving so if i'm if i move from a charter home to a comcast home and a comcast home to a charter home, yeah yeah like it doesn't mean that like you're getting less it's just there's less overall gross ads in that portion (laughs) of the market 
That it, doesn't it, explain lower net ads. It just means that there's lower transition between Comcast and Charter. So it's just a weird excuse, I think. The bottom line is that if 100% of the pie was, I know it wasn't 100, but if 100% of the pie was cable broadband and now it's 70% of the pie and 30% is wireless, there's not much else to talk about. It's just Wireless math. is taking share. Yeah, it's just Move math. on. I don't, yeah. I don't even know. What's the point of belaboring that? And they, they go through backflips to try and explain this stuff. And then, and then to your point, Rich, proudly boast of this record load churn, which they've never reported. Like, I mean, it's, it's just, it's silly. It's, it's literally just silly now. It's, charters, they should be, they should be literally be laughed at for these explanations. But at tra- this charters up, charters up 5% by basically telling the street <clears throat> that broadband's going to recover this year to pre pandemic trends. Didn't they say, how at the do end they of the know call that? that they, how do they, they even say, know? Right. And didn't they say at the end of the call, they weren't increasing price where in prior years they did? Yes. Well, isn't it interesting also that they outperformed on video, but their ARPU, their video ARPU was down also. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there are ways to contract to there's a well, Brandon, in the wireless business. We call that we call that ARPU. giving out free, free desserts. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you see subscriber growth, do something and ARPU do another thing. That just means there's a lot of people that are getting freebies on retention. I mean, it's just, again, it, this is all just math. No, you don't need to, you don't need to be so, a top so, tier sell side analyst to understand this. I wouldn't think you so would, you're, but you're apparently basically, you do. So you're basically explaining. <laughs> Walter is basically explaining to our listeners and viewers why they should be calling up Charter asking for their freebies this afternoon. <laughs> Correct. Retention free retention freebies. Retention department this afternoon is going to get a lot of calls from the Lightshed podcast. Let's move on. Well, we'll um, see Walt, you want to go FCC? Verizon in the next couple of months. Um, yeah, so this is just kind of a, we love to toss these things in as for those of our, of our steady listeners. Gigi Sohn has been someone that I think was speculated as potential chairman of the FCC. And then people thought she was going to get punted and pushed out. But um, she is set to to get come to a vote next Wednesday at the next Wednesday's markup session. Um there's also some an FTC person in there, but you know, it looks like things are moving forward for um, for Gigi Sone to be a commissioner of the FCC again. To restate, we don't think this is you know. There's been some conspiracy theorists that think that once she's appointed, that Biden will swap her in as chairperson over Rose Morrison. I think that's unlikely, um, very unlikely. Um, but but look, um, Gigi will be in there and. And we'll see how things move forward on on net neutrality and some of the potential MA in the telecom or satellite space that um, is likely to come forward. Just a quick note on the on the DTV and Dish, and I just love to come back to this. Someday this will be get announced. Come on, Charlie. Let's just anyway. AT and T on their call, they were asked about this, and they're just like, "Look, we don't. We're we're like we're focused on just getting rid of stuff and and our core business, and this is precisely why we did this transaction because we didn't want to have to go through the process of, you know, getting this deal approval, and that's why they did the deal with TPG in the first place to have TPG handle whatever that combination is going to be. And and I think Rand, Rand, Rand excuse me, um, John Stanky basically pointed out, look, there's economic benefit to them in terms of the distributions that they can, the higher distributions that they can get if that transaction A is announced and then B is successful. So we'll see how that goes. Didn't Josh Cosman say it was imminent though? Imminent, Brandon, imminent. 
<laughs> it depends how you define imminent. Imminent could certainly be calendar when, there, 22 versus if, calendar 23. That's imminent versus next year. And, and, and if and when it gets announced, then he will, I called it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Jack um, doing his yet again trolling on Mark Zuckerberg because um, Zuckerberg or Facebook was or Meta, I should say, is abandoning their um, cryptocurrency uh, project that I think has gone through three or four different names, but essentially it's dead and and being completely abandoned. This was a David Marcus, I think, was originally spearheading. I think Kevin Wheel was heavily involved. Like this was sort of the big Facebook initiative and. Now it's dead and Jack is sort of just tweets out carpe diem. And it just, you know, I think it shows the continued sort of hatred between Jack and Mark or hatred and dislike. Just friendly banter. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? If I, I like I like how Jack has been trolling, continuing, yeah. you know, his war with Andreessen. He had some funny trolls of Andreessen this week. Now he's trolling Zuck again. It's, but it's fun to fun. watch. It's good. Fun. It is. It is. I, I just think the, the the larger element of this that just is we keep coming back to is, you know, because we were talking about sort of the need to sort of or the importance of gaming in the metaverse. Yet another signal of just how Mark can't do anything. Yeah, you know, Facebook how, can't do Facebook shit. and Meta just cannot do anything. This government doesn't just dislike them; they hate them, and that there hate. is again. There's a lot of hate on this hate. call. There's a hate. lot of hate. I don't know if there's hate. There's Rich, I thought you were becoming like a peaceful warrior. Or yeah, whatever. that's what your Instagram. The word indicates. hate has been used way too much on this call. Yeah, these, these extreme. These extreme. I mean, Brandon, aren't you wearing your Headspace sweatshirt today? <laughs> I these am. extreme statements. They actually, this is a good one they sent. Did you get this? Did you guys get I did, this one? I did. I did. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a very really comfortable nice. hoodie. It's a new era sweatshirt. Some of our other companies actually have promised me gear, and it hasn't shown up. Send, space send perspective if you're leaving if you're listening to this we'll send i thought the that was supposed to be here this week maybe you're waiting for the new logo speaking Next. of josh cosman <laughs> brandon go ahead win resorts looks to sell online sports betting biz at deep discount source source probably being one of his hedge fund buddies <laughs> <laughs> source his own link <laughs> source is his link uh, um, but look, we've said this a number of times, the amount of books of sports books out there right now is far too many. There's going to be consolidation. Others will shut down and they're probably the way these things have traded valuations for those who are willing to sell themselves are obviously coming down. So we move on. We move on. Um, you know, I think Two. the, well, no, but I think the, the <laughs> segues, well, you would not mean. make a good DJ, right? No, that was a <laughs> shitty segue. I know, I know, I know, but I was trying to, um, think about what I wanted to say. So like, when you think about this Hollywood reporter, David Ellison, Skydance moves first look deal from Paramount to Apple in our top 22, I think 21 was Apple goes big in the movie business. David Ellison is building a massive film studio or massive IP factory at Skydance. We talked about on the animation front over the last few weeks, he's got a thousand person animation business with John Lasseter. I mean, if the biggest threat to Disney right now, in my mind, in terms of animation is John Lasseter, 
who built Pixar is now working with Apple and is coming out with Apple-like product. And now Skydance, which is doing a lot of the big movies over at Paramount, you know, the, the new Mission Impossible is supposed to be incredible. Like everyone says, it's incredible. We, we heard that 10 times in LA, Brandon. Now the production no, thought, beyond those franchises. Top Gun, that's incredible, not Mission Impossible. Sorry, you're right. Yes, Top Gun, the new Top Gun. I'm, I screwed that up, is incredible. But now Ellison moving his first look deal to Apple is interesting. And at the same time, I have this quote at the bottom, which I sort of threw in here. So this is Eddie Q. Oh, this was, sorry, was this, this was Tim Cook, I believe, last night on Apple's earnings call. <laughs> We don't make purely financial decisions about the content on Apple TV+. Plus. We try to find great content that has a reason for being. You know, I just want to, that, that to me is a seminal quote that I'm going to keep coming back to in the media space, because if I was sitting at Disney, Viacom, NBC Universal, I think I would shit my pants if I heard that quote, because like everything those companies do, is for a financial reason. Like what about Netflix? Look, it's even it's even threatening for Netflix, right? Like they have to create content that drives subscribers and and by the know, way, they're trading on earnings now. Netflix. Look, it is a scary comment for anyone. I mean, look, it's great for Ari Emanuel and you know Endeavor, right? Like, hey, we're doing things because of the greater brand or the greater brand Halo. I mean, we want to have like an HBO-like brand. I mean, he didn't say that, but that's what I'm sort of inferring from that comment of like, there's a greater reason for building the the, the brand. But it's it's got to be really scary, especially for small players. I mean, we keep talking about how does a Paramount Plus or a Peacock or how do any of these things really scale up when you've got someone like Apple saying, we're not even focused on the economic return of this piece of content. I'm just saying I'm putting a bookmark on that one. We're going to come back to that because I think that is a a really important statement that 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 this industry is not spending enough time on. Like we talk about is Zaslav going to gun content at Warner Media? He's going to have to because other companies are going to gun and aren't going to worry about the 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 bottom line impact. And so it's going to put a lot of pressure on these companies to spend more money. No wonder Comcast is doubling their spend on Peacock. Like. It's going to get very, very intense. Let's uh, shift gears to Spotify, Brendan. You want to explain what happened this week? It's uh, this was, I, I think, sort of surprising. Maybe not surprising. Oh, Neil. Maybe not if you know Neil Young, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was getting at. Like uh, from the New York Times, Spotify has begun removing Neil Young's music from its platform. The company said on Wednesday, two days after the star posted a public letter calling on Spotify to choose between him and Joe Rogan, who has been accused of spreading vaccine disinformation. Uh, yeah, obviously, Spotify is going to choose Joe Rogan, who they invested what hundreds of millions of dollars in over you, who. I mean, you guys know I love Neil Young, but even I could live without. <laughs> it only matters, right, if this becomes a trend. You know, if if there were 40 large artists that left the platform, that would force Spotify's hand. I don't think, you know, maybe if it was Taylor Swift, I would be more concerned, right? Like if there was real must-have headline new music content, you know, I, I look, it's something I think it's something it'll be interesting to see how Daniel Eck and the team, I use both names. I didn't just say Daniel, 
Uh, it'll be interesting how Daniel Eck, the found, co-founder of Spotify, addresses this on earnings next week. Like, I think it's going to it's definitely going to come up. Right. I mean, I remember when they first signed Joe Rogan, there were several questions about it. My guess is this is going to re-raise this issue of like, how do you deal with this and what are the they've already said how they're going to deal with it. Right. Yes, but it's, it's different when you start losing content like they've never lost content from it before. So this is sort of new information, right? Like, yes, yeah. it's one artist. I think it's irrelevant for today. To your point, we can all live without Neil Young on the platform and you can click YouTube and go listen to, you know, there's plenty of places to get Neil Young. But I think it's going to be an interesting topic where they're going to have to address it. And again, it only probably really matters if it spirals from here and which there's no signs of to date. I haven't seen any artists saying we're happy to leave Spotify too. And it's tough for artists, right? Like Spotify is their largest distribution platform and their largest check. So most artists are not going to give up their largest check. And with Spotify, the ad business is becoming much more strategic and a much bigger area of growth for them. And, you know, Joe Rogan is kind of the flag bearer there, right? In terms of having like big ad and sponsorship deals. Uh, Aoki Universe, before you even get into it, let me just, should I just play the video for a second, Brandon? Um, sure. Let me just, or should I just read this tweet? I guess the problem with playing the video is it doesn't really explain it. So it's really just showing it. I, I forgot it didn't actually give like a play by play. I fucked up. I thought it, I thought he explained well, there it. There are explain. like, like no, he doesn't really. There explain. are like a hundred people who actually watch this shit. No, I know, but I'm just I'm being an idiot. A, I'm an being an infinitesimal idiot. fraction of our audience actually wants to see our faces. Drop yeah. the bass. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> just read the tweet, Brandon. I'm an idiot. Steve Aoki, it's finally time to unveil the Aoki verse. I am combining an entire career's worth of relationships, my music, my art, my network into an all encompassing exclusive membership community. And we talked about the value of the blockchain and actual use cases of it and membership and fan clubs, really the ability to go fully direct to consumer with absolutely no intermediary being um, possible. And Aoki's doing that. He's going to issue NFTs. If you're part of the fan club, you're going to have access to buy some of those NFTs, which are the quote, his art, probably some music there, then you're going to have the ability to get concert tickets before other people can, or get into clubs or whatever it may be. Um, Get cake thrown on your face. I know he's famous for that. Um, So we've, we've talked about real actual use cases of the blockchain that real direct to consumer is one and Aoki has kind of been in the NFT game. I think he owns an ape or whatever the fuck um, else he owns. Um, And, and now he's, you know, putting himself fan fan clubs are really interesting use cases, right? Cause now you can actually like, you actually have ownership. You can transfer Like this is to me, this is like when we talk about NBA top shots where you own a play that has like, you know, very little utility here. Yeah, there's like utility is a key word. Yes. I keep coming back to like, you know, I know the board apes have some, like you can be part no, of there's Discord utility chats. in the apes. You are part of a club. There are events. There is merchandise, all of this. 
right? But to have a big artist like Aoki build something. And the other thing in there is that like in that video, he shows video footage, but he also shows like kind of more 3D interactive quote metaverse experiences that he's looking to unveil to. Totally. Which we'll see. Um, Another great segue. What do you mean? I mean, oh, sorry. I'm, I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely having trouble with my segues today. I don't know why. It definitely is one of those days. Uh, but John Did Oren you go has, out last night, Rich? I did. I did. I drank a oh, lot there, last night. Okay, I there got, you go. I got wasted last night. So yeah. Whoa, Jesus. Jeez. What do you mean? I, it's oh. true. It's true. Rich, you have a duty to your subscribers. To- I, clo- I closed down Bill yeah. Bouquet last night. Literally. Literally closed it down. <laughs> Um, site for sore eyes. Uh, <laughs> uh, John Oren, Disney agreed to an exclusive pack to carry WWE Network in Indonesia. Why is this important? It's Disney's first actual WWE deal. Like, is I mean, uh, okay, come on. I mean, this first of all, the press release leaked like two weeks ago, um, so everyone knew about this. Number one, number two. It's also small dollars. Walt's laughing because he told me he gets bored whenever I go into a number one, a number two, and a number three. So <laughs> if that's if, if everyone else is getting bored by that, please send me your feedback. I'm willing to change. I'm not interrupting people as much anymore, right? I think. You did very good today, Brandon. Very well done today. I did not <laughs> see one Walter cutoff the entire podcast. <laughs> I wish you um, had one, but... <laughs> But Orand is pointing out that Disney might be interested in WWE content now, which is much more significant for the domestic deal when that expires in a couple of years. Does the fact that they're doing a deal with Hotstar in Indonesia really indicate that they're going to bid for rights in the U.S.? No, probably not. Um, Hotstar is a, a very different product than ESPN+. Plus. Um, he has to contend with Ari Emanuel if he starts, <laughs> you know, putting uh, WWE content on ESPN Plus. So um, we'll see. I don't. I don't think it means very much. Is the answer? I, I also want to just come back to. I think there's this larger issue of like, should Disney be harvesting cash flow for ESPN or jamming cash? You know, like spending cash. And we keep everything sort of points to. Chapik doesn't see ESPN as a priority, whether that means spinning it off or just making it a cash cow. There is nothing right now that points to ESPN being a place of large investment, which would you know sort of speak against doing something large with WWE or any you know additional sports content. I mean, they have access to every single major sport right now, the big four plus MMA. So we'll see where they want to go from here. Now for the best tweet of the week in my mind. Walter, take it away. Um, this is from Pomp. Anthony, it's Anthony, right? Anthony and Pomp. Yes. Um, Marcelo, referring to Marcelo Claré, is one of the great investors over the last decade. Whatever he does next will be worth paying attention to. Marcelo, for those that didn't see, um, has departed SoftBank in a a, a alleged pay dispute with Masa. He wanted a billion dollars to get paid um, for saving rework, um, among other things. 
<clears throat> getting sprints sold. Um, so we'll, we'll all be paying attention to see where Marcelo ends up next without Massa and what, what he ends up doing. We'll definitely be following that carefully. Great maybe investors. He'll, maybe he'll be helpless. I think Pomp was just <laughs> excited that Marcelo was had laser eyes at one point. He was he was a more recent. That is true. I think, he, I think I'm sure they're friends, right? I'm I sure. Question, I'm sure Pomp got Marcelo to put up the laser eyes. I think Marcelo may have flipped down his eight laser eyes right about the time that Bitcoin was about fifty eight thousand dollars per token. Do you think LFJ? What? At what point of this sort of market correction, crypto correction, do you think people remove the laser eyes? Ooh, that's a good point. Let's focus on one person. We need, we need someone that has laser eyes. It's, Pomp will never take his laser eyes off, so because that's like his only thing. So who? What's the? We got to. We'll, we'll come up with someone for next week, and then we'll and then we'll have a bet on the over under on when said person removes laser eyes. It was sort of like Maria leaving Twitter and only being on Parlor. Like we could have sort of that same like the watch. You, you know, Marcelo already took his laser eyes off, so we'll just we'll, we'll find yeah. something. Yeah, he is. After a dip below, I never made. I never said that. By the way, I was, <laughs> I was buying Bitcoin in our ventures meeting this week, in our Monday weekly. Wonderful. It, it worked a little bit. A little bit, not much. Are you a maxi, Brandon? <laughs> I'm not a maxi. <laughs> Can I lend you some tether? If you want to go on <laughs> I think you should lend some to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> That's episode 91, everyone. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Bye. Big birds flying across the sky.